The Spiel is sponsored by TimeWellSpent.org. Who wants to remind you, any time spent playing games is time well spent. From their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, episode 32. The Spiel des Spiel. So hi there, and welcome to The Spiel. My name is Stephen Conway. And I'm David Colson. And uh, we are your hosts here on a, the show about games and the people who love them. What have, you been, what have you been up to, Dave, since the last we met two weeks ago here? <laughs> um, with you every day, <laughs> yes. almost every hour of every day. <laughs> it feels like that, totally. <laughs> we have a very special show on tap, but we're going to get into the... The ins and outs of that in news and notes uh, here in just a, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it's going to be a little little different than we said it was going to be yeah. <laughs> on the last show, but I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think that our, our special Spiel des Jahres episode here is going to gonna turn some heads hopefully because we uh had to pull this together at the last minute and uh crazy <laughs> i think without further ado let's just jump right in and let the cat out of the bag cool game news and notes So this is a very special episode of The Spiel. You can throw out the normal <laughs> rules that apply to most episodes of if The Spiel. If you could Spiel. ever describe anything we do as normal <laughs> anyway. That's very true. But we're not going to have, other than this news and notes is really more sort of housekeeping. Right. Uh, because we have to keep the balls rolling on several of the things that we have going and, and several things we need to tell you about. Um, but the the list, the back shelf spotlight, uh, truckloads of goober, game sommelier, we'll all be back. Um, down the road, but this is a special Spiel des Jahres episode, and I think Dave should uh, maybe tell the story of, of oh. how this came about, since he's largely <laughs> responsible for the, he, well, he's totally responsible for the idea, and is, you know, hugely responsible for helping to pull this off, so Dave? I, I have what no have idea how it happened. <laughs> it's just after we had already pretty much come up with the idea for our next episode we usually plan ahead yeah because we always plan bit. ahead and try and get everything we probably only had about seven days ago we decided this yes approximately it we, we were Maybe like 10 how cool would it be if steven and i got to play all the games that have been nominated for the spiel des Jahres this year we get to play them we get to tell you guys all about these games and at the end we get to make a prediction on which game do we think will actually win the award? Or maybe which game do we think is the best out of all these? Um, and Steven's like, yeah, that sounds really cool, really cool, but we only own two of those games. And one of the games, um, Genocide von Theben, has not even been published in this country, and they're out of stock in the, of them in Germany. So how the heck can we do this? And we started making some calls and sending some emails, and everything just started coming together at... <laughs> Absolutely the last minute, but it worked. So this episode is going to be our attempt at giving you guys all the information you could possibly ever want about the um, Spiel des Jahres nominated games and which ones we think actually deserve 
all the kudos. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really excited uh, for for you all and for us. I mean, we we pulled this off at the at the very well, last minute. We're recording this on what is this Saturday? Saturday. Uh, June twenty third. Yep. So the uh, award is actually announced on Sunday or Monday, Monday. June twenty fifth. Which our episode you'll be listening to this on June twenty fifth at the earliest, maybe even before the ep- uh, you know who before the it's winner announced, is. Right. So, so we're legit. We're making our prediction. Yeah, we in have advance no of idea. knowing who and what's going on with the the people over in Germany making their choices because they certainly didn't make it easy on us. Right, I'll, exactly. I'll tell you that for sure. And I think we also should take some time to thank some people. Absolutely, because that's, this that's wouldn't even. Have been remotely possible without the help of a lot of people. Yeah, so special thanks go out to Jay Tummelson and Queen Games, especially for Rush delivering us a copy of Jenseits von Thaben from Europe. Uh, yeah. To our front doorstep, just so we would have it in time to play the game, so that we could bring this episode to you. Awesome! It was just yeah. amazingly cool that that they were willing to work with yeah, us that was and to pull that off. Um, also, a big thanks to Jared and Dave at Time Well Spent uh, for lots of support. When we told them about this <laughs> idea, we were like, "Well, we know we told you we were going to do this one thing, but, but we decided really at the last second we're going to do something else." And they were like. <laughs> Cool, like, go for it. Exactly. So they they managed to get us Zularetto like Stat. the day after yeah. it was available. Um, so big thanks go out to Jared and Dave at Time Well yeah, Spent. Yeah, awesome as well. guys. So uh, you know it's it, we bring the show to you, but a lot of people are responsible for the success of this this exactly. one episode. So just up front, we want to <laughs> send out those thank yous. So um, that's what's coming. And once we're done with our little housekeeping uh, segment here, you're going to hear about all five of the nominees. And then at the end, we're going to do a little prediction uh, game and see if we can maybe crawl into the minds of the juries. And, and, and Stephen and I haven't discussed this ahead no, of time. So I have, I have absolutely I have no contact. You no know. idea what Stephen's got in mind for a winner and vice versa. Yeah, so. the little Pricewaterhouse guy came in with Dave at the little, <laughs> the little uh, <laughs> briefcase. So it's going to be flipped open and we'll see what happens. Exactly. <laughs> cool. So on to other business here at hand. Uh, let's see, where should we start? Maybe uh, the upcoming episode calendar. Not only yeah, is this good. episode a little funky and different, but we schedule the, the be a little whole wacky. summer is, is kind of a little wacky. So we thought we'd warn you about uh, future upcoming events and things. So the episode after this one, which will be July 9th, is going to be our Origins episode because we will have just been back from Origins and we'll kind of give you the scoop on what was happening at Origins and our impressions of of the Origins game convention in Columbus, Ohio. So that's uh, July 9th. Um, Then we have our summer vacation. (laughs) (sighs) July 23rd would normally be our next episode, but... You know, even us Spielers deserve a little bit of a break during the year, so we're actually taking off July 23rd. There's not going to be an episode in that normal slot, so you're going to have to wait all the way from July 9th to August 6th for your next uh, Spiel fix. Yeah, send all hate mail to Stephen (laughs) at thespiel.net. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... uh, that's that's the um, and the, that's going to be a kind of a normal episode back with all the right. um, that's going to be the one we promised actually with the um, <laughs> with the what should uh, have happened today <laughs> exactly with the notes from the OCD yes in yes. place of the, the game, um, sommelier. game sommelier so that'll be what we promised happening on the sixth and then we get wacky yet again <laughs> one more time a wacky episode well, of course we have Gen Con 
uh, right here in our back um, yard here at, in Indianapolis at the end of August. So we're going to do a Gen Con episode, and that'll be August 20th. So you're going to have a couple convention episodes, a normal episode wedged in there for good measure, <laughs> and then also we've got a little summer vacation uh, coming up just to warn you about so we don't get the cries of, where's my spiel? <laughs> at the last second, you, you can plan ahead and, and you know dole out the spiel episodes. Over rest, the- rest assured that even on a vacation... There'll be games oh being played gosh. off the list, so even the vacation is Dave's has already something got to the do schedule, so with the full show. Of games, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay, so what's next on the the list of housekeeping items here? Um, how about um, let's tell everybody what our, kind of what our, our plans and agenda is for Origins coming up just in a few yeah, short weeks. Yeah, it's going to be so here. Anybody who's lucky enough to attend Origins <clears throat> like we are um, here in a couple weeks and wants to hook up, the the whole reason why we're going is we were invited to be on a podcast panel, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be Saturday morning. Saturday morning at ten a.m. Um, they haven't uh, disclosed the location yeah, we even to no us. No so idea it's some where secret it's location be. to us. I'm sorry, we can't bring the. But it's going to be kind of a neat way to meet all the people in um, game podcasting. So guys from the Dice Tower, guys from um, Board Games with Scott, of course Stephen and I from the Spiel, and I'm not sure how many other people. Yeah, I don't know exactly the full lineup um, of people. I think it's scheduled for an hour and 45 minute okay. session, so it's going to be a good long cool. session. Uh, there is a minimum; uh, it's limited to 50 seats. Okay, I did find. That oh, okay. out. So, um, you know, I don't know how many people. I have no idea. We may be talking to one person in crickets. I don't know. But you know what we need to do is make <laughs> make sure all the spiel listeners get there first and <laughs> fill up all the seats. Oh, yeah. there's listeners for those other shows. <laughs> You're evil. You're evil. So if you look, if you actually have like an Origins program, the the name of the actual panel is Meet the Board Game Broadcasters. Oh, okay, great. And it's Saturday again at 10 a.m. Um, so we'll, um, we're going to be actually arriving at the con on Friday um, and be tooling around. So you may see us around on Friday. Um, feel free, obviously, if we're doing play testing or any kind of games, we're yeah. going to be up for games you know, as much as we, we can. We're going to be doing some recording on site and stuff, so if you see us recording, you might wait until we're done recording to, to come up and uh, yeah, Before us. you go, <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, Sunday, Dave's leaving pretty early, but Francie and I are going to be hanging around, I think, for a little bit during cool. the day, so we'll have opportunities to, to sit down and play or at least say hey, and, and we'll be wearing um, our Spiel shirt, so it, it'll be pretty obvious uh, <laughs> exactly. who we are. <laughs> and I think we're, we're trying to plan some kind of a little impromptu get-together. Very right. Hopefully very right. on Saturday evening after the con shuts down, uh, we thought it would be fun for um, Stephen and I and any listeners who wanted to to maybe go out for a little bit of dinner, have uh, some food, some libations, and <laughs> maybe some entertainment. Uh do you want to announce where we think we might go? Or? Well, I think maybe uh, you might want to be in the mood for some German food. Since yeah, we're, exactly. we're into some good old-fashioned German games here, uh, I think you might be interested in some German food. Um, just as a general rule, what we're going to do is, say, meet up at 6.30 outside the entrance to the dealer's room. Oh, this is our first time at Origin, so we don't have a better sense of where right. would be a great place to meet, but that seems like a good central Sounds good. location. We'll all kind of gather there about 6.30, so if you're interested in doing that, and then we'll head off to, to the restaurant and have a good time and play um, some games. Yeah, and, can't wait to meet yeah. a bunch of you guys. It's going to be great. We it should get be really great fun. emails all the time, but can't wait to meet <laughs> everybody in person. So that's kind of Origins in a nutshell. 
Uh, let's see, next on the list, I think I mentioned, I, I teased it a little bit. We're going to be wearing our Spiel shirts. Uh, we actually. <laughs> you gonna... might be saying, Spiel shirts? What Spiel shirts? <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, we've bowed to some, some popular uh, protest uh, asking, hey, are you guys ever going to do Spiel shirts and stuff? We actually are going to have up on the website now a link to a little, you know, e-commerce thing that does is going to do three different kinds of Spiel shirts for us. There's going to be a Meeple stack shirts, which is kind of our de facto logo with the Spiel on it, our cube logo from the top of the website, and then a shirt that uh, says Spiel on and has a, a line of, of Meeples on it. But you'll be able to click through and, and link through and see the different shirts. They're going to run about 20 bucks. A per you know a pop, and uh, I think they turned out pretty nicely. Yeah, yeah, I think we, they look we've got some nice. samples. We, they already look got, great. Got them in, and they they hold up pretty well to, to washings and uh, exactly the all the shirts are white, but you can have your they have little little ringers around the collar and the sleeves, and you can choose your color of right, those. Right, so you can kind of customize a little bit. And I think uh, we've got three of those designs up now. Hopefully, in very soon we're hoping to maybe have a shirt for each segment of the show. So maybe a truckloads of goober shirt. <laughs> How cool! is that or maybe a game sommelier shirt and the other thing maybe if anybody has ideas on um the logos some or logos or designs that, yeah. feel free send them in you know yeah I think we it'd be great we don't have anything written in stone yet as far as those go so if you guys have good ideas send them our way so <laughs> so you can dud up with the the spiel stuff if you so choose uh very soon here <laughs> Uh, whew, boy, this list just keeps just going, does exactly. it? The list that just never ends. Um, of course, we have the Name That Game contest. Exactly. Um, that That's still going to happen this episode, even though the episode's wacky. Uh, we're going to have the Name That Game contest uh, that will go on. But before we sort of tease you on that one, we need to deal with the past and Name That Game. So if anybody's been to the website, you'll see that the winner of the last Name That Game contest was Travis Sansala. And the correct answer was Moncala. So now you know what all those little stones were plink, dropping plink, into the pits. <laughs> and if you're really crazy, you might have recognized that there was exactly 13 of them. Which, for anybody who's played Moncala, 13 is the magic number for you to go all the way around the board and collect the stones from the opposite pit. That's like a, like a little secret capture thing that you always try and get. But we thought that was kind of fun. Turned out being not too difficult. We had a lot of correct uh, mm-hmm. guesses. Um, so I guess that leads us to the new name that game for this week. Right. Hopefully a bit crazier. Remember, it's all the clue. It's it can, it's going to be a random clue. It's going to happen at a random point in the episode. But the clue is always going to lead you to the name of a game. So you'll just have to keep your ears sharp and, and listen for the, the little theme music that will warn you that it's coming up. And uh, send those guesses in to either Stephen at thespiel.net. Or Dave at thespiel.net. And make sure you put in the subject line, name that game. And, Helps a lot. <laughs> um, we we enjoy the, all the responses. We totally uh, are getting great responses to the episode, or to the to the contest. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, look forward to that coming here in this episode. Cool. So we also want to let everybody know that we've decided to go ahead and let the current Backshelf Spotlight Connection game run through one more episode. So this will go ahead and go all the way to the episode for the Origins. So if you haven't logged on to the website yet, um, make sure and get on there and put in your guesses for what you think is the right connection between Balderdash and Hoity Toity. (laughs) 
We've gotten some good responses on yeah, the forum some, so far. There's some great stuff out there. Yeah, out there responses. I'm, if you I'm haven't looked, look. Enjoying go to them very much. And check it out. <laughs> uh, let's see. Just a couple more things. We've got some donors that we totally need to thank. Um, since we're kind of doing all the housekeeping here at once, let's let's include them in Excellent. this segment. So we have special thanks that go out to Cosmo, the Cube Stacker, Cure McLaren. <laughs> that say that five a, times fast now that's a name baby so thank you very very much cosmo for donating to uh our cause it helps pay the bandwidth bills and keep the show coming to everybody very appreciated um, also thanks to walter the merchant of venus hunt <laughs> <laughs> walter is also a science fiction author if you remember he sent ah, in yes. a, a report from the gathering of friends absolutely um he has a series of books i think dark wing is the first there's yep, four of them in the series right. they're all science fiction books so uh, you might want to check those out but thank you very much walter for donating to the spiel that's great uh and remember anybody who donates to the spiel gets a crazy uh, game theme nickname whenever you donate and we totally appreciate your uh, generosity because uh the bills keep coming and you guys keep helping us pay them and and that's awesome and just allows us to keep uh getting more ambitious with the show with each coming week and, and year so thanks very much uh, last but not least, just have to tease you a little bit. Come, uh, you want to stay tuned because, of course, we have the winner of the big time well spent oh, yeah, contest. Baby. Three games that they're going to win: Notre Dame, Coliseum, and Factory Fun. Uh, We're going to draw names live here on the show. Yep, and so that's keep listening. Going to happen later in the show. And Time Well Spent has a really good uh, sale that they're going to do, kind of synced and up. And of with course. Another cool contest associated with this episode. So keep your ears peeled for uh, the time well spent news coming up here, too. So I think it's time to start talking about games. And oh, yeah. I'm, I'm done with housework. Let's do it, baby. Spiel des Jahres nominee number one. So first up is a game called Arcadia. It was co-published by Rio Grande Games and Ravensburger Games. It was designed by Rudiger Dorn. It's for two to four players, ages 10 and up. Retails for $45. You can find it online between $27 and $35. In Arcadia, each player takes on the role of an architect, helping to construct all the buildings in Arcadia, including its magnificent castle. During the game, you'll earn seals for completing or helping to complete buildings. Then you'll have up to five chances to convert those seals to gold. The player with the most gold at the end of the game is the winner. So let's just jump in, look at some of the goober, and see what it does. So this comes with a really nice game board. Uh, around the outside of the game boards, there's some areas where you store the castle building pieces. So there's a, um, an area for the pieces for level 1 of the castle, another area for the pieces for level 2, and so forth. But the majority of the game board is broken up into square spaces. Most of them are empty, but there are some spaces that have these pictures of tents in them. During the game, if you build a building over these spaces, that's the only way that you can earn neutral workers. So, basically, at the start of the game, each player gets a player screen and four little banners. These are really cool because you actually hang the banners from your player screens. During your turn, you can take these banners off to earn um, colored workers and to have a chance to convert those seals to gold. To score, basically. Exactly. So that's very cool. Um, there's 40 building tiles. They come in seven, diff seven different shapes, and they're kind of like tetris little yes, shapes. Yes, very much so. <laughs> there are 88 seals. These are little cardboard tokens that are in four different colors, and as you build the buildings, you'll be placing these seals 
on those buildings. And that just basically shows you when a building is complete, what color of seals you're going to earn. And then there's 40 building cards. Each building card shows a picture of the building and which color of seal you're supposed to place on that building. At the start of the game, each player gets four of those cards. The rest are shuffled up, put in a draw pile, and then three are turned face up. So any time in the game you're going to have to draw these, you can either choose from the draw pile or one of those three that are face up. Uh, we've got ele- each player has 11 workers. Now, at the start of the game, you only get three of those workers behind your little player screen. The rest you're going to have to earn. And remember, you're going to earn those by taking those banners off, earning some of those, and possibly scoring. So you got those guys. Then there's 24 neutral workers. Those are workers that you can use in the game, but they won't necessarily help you score anything. And remember, the only way to get those is if you build a building on the board on top of one of those tent spaces. That's how you're going to earn those guys. And last but not least, the 28 awesome plastic castle pieces. These are 3D, really neat little castle pieces. On the roof section of each one of these is a picture of one of the four seals, which is really cool. Pretty important. So let's take a look at a typical turn in this game. There's kind of two parts. The first part to a turn is a must part. In other words, you have to do something in this section. And the second part is a can. So there's some options that you can do. So in the must part, you can do you have to do one of these two things. Play a card or play one or more workers. Playing a card is pretty easy. You just play it out, look on the card to see what type of building it is, and you have to build that building on the board. It's that simple. Um, the only rules in laying a building are that it has to be orthogonally adjacent to a building or a worker that's already on the board. As long as you're fulfilling that, you just throw it anywhere that you want and make sure you mark it with a seal. It'll say on the card which seal to put it on. The other choice is that you can play one or more workers. Important, these workers, whether they be specifically yours or neutral, they have to come from behind your screen. And you can play these in any quantity. You can play some of your own color, some neutral, just one or the other. The only limitation to this is you have to play them, once again, orthogonally adjacent to one single building. So you can't just plop these all over the board. Once you pick a building, if you're going to lay any more than one, they all have to be around that single building. Now, here's the fun part. If, through playing a tile or your workers, you have completed a building... And a completed building is described as any building that is completely surrounded on all orthogonally adjacent sides. If you've done that, now you're going to actually score this building. So everybody, not just yourself, who has one of their colored, one or more of their colored workers around that building, are going to earn seals in the color of the seal that you placed on that building when you built it. So we go around and go, hey, Steven's got two guys. Here's two seals. I've got two guys. I win two seals. That's as easy as that. Here's the other cool thing. Anytime you complete a building, you get to build part of the castle. So you would get, if we're on the very first floor of the castle, you'd reach over there in that area for the first four tiles, and you'd pick one castle tile or one castle piece and build it to the castle. Keep in mind, what you're actually trying to do is pick a castle tile that shows a seal that's going to be useful for you. If you have a bunch of red seals behind your player screen, you're going to want as many red sealed castle pieces you know, in construction, so you can, and I'll explain how the little um, process works. Right. So those are the things that you must do. You have to play a card, or you have to add a little guy. And as a result, you may complete a building and get to build some of the castle stuff. 
So once you're finished with that, now you come to the optional part, which is really neat. You can use one of your banners. If you take one of the banners off your player screen, you get, first of all, you get two of your colored workers, and you get to add those behind your screen to use later to add to the board. Then you have an option to convert seals to gold. Remember, the name of the game is to have the most gold at the end of the game. So you're going to have to do this. The neat thing is you can do this whenever you want. You've got four <laughs> chances. You decide when it's most advantageous to score, and you do it then. Right. And um, you can do any amount that you want. Unlike most games where you know it might have, after the third turn, everybody scores, exactly. and things like that. It's, I think it's really cool that you actually that you get, get to, to decide exactly. when you, when you want to... And you can do it in any amount. You might have 20 seals behind your screen, but you're like, you know, right now I think it would be just good for me to score these four. So you can just trade the four in. Now, here's how you score. This is the cool part. Let's say I have four red seals. And we have built some of the castle out there. And in the castle, there are four red seals showing on the tops of the castle tiles. I take my four seals multiplied by the number of seals that you can see if you were, like, flying overhead over the castle, looking down on the castle. If there were four seals there, four of the castle seals times my four seals, 16 gold. It's that simple. It's really, really cool. You keep Players keep alternating turns until the second level of the castle is completed. That triggers the end game. Everybody gets one last final turn, and then there is one final scoring, even, if, even without a banner, that everybody gets at the end. And then whoever has the most gold wins. Mm-hmm. Really neat, neat little game. Really uh, elegant, I, I, yeah. I think. The, the abstract strategy sort of, of element place, yep. of, of trying to figure out how to place the little uh, buildings in the, the most optimal place to help you and not help your uh, opponents. Right. I was terrible at it, but I really enjoyed it, it in terms of just trying to – the mental exercise of trying Absolutely. to do that. I like the, the limited number of, of workers. Mm-hmm. As I was reading the rules – I could not fathom how 11 workers throughout the game was going to allow me to complete any buildings. And then you realize it's all this abstract strategy game happening out there on how you're laying, you're using previously laid buildings and previously placed workers to do double duty for yeah. stuff you've already laid them around and for the new things that you're getting ready to lay. Yeah, because maybe, maybe you didn't emphasize that what? enough. The surrounding of the buildings can either be workers or other buildings, Absolutely, too. Right. So. You know, you may not have to, you shouldn't think of any building as, oh, I have to have all my guys around all the parts of the building. A definite strategy of the game is trying to figure out how to wedge it up against <laughs> other buildings so that you can have two guys there and maybe put a couple neutral guys out. Because the neutral guys, while you don't score from them, I think of them more as you put them down to prevent other people from plopping guys exactly. around a building where you want to be able to score the majority of the seals. And that's the hardest part. Like in any game, you can't do both actions in one turn. So if you lay a building, you're not going to be able to put workers down, which means if when you lay it, it's not completely surrounded. You give all your opponents a chance to surround it before you have a chance. <laughs> so it's really that fine line between, okay, I'll lay this here, but you're going to have to commit truckloads of workers to it, or it's going to come back to me, and I'm actually going to get to do it. Or in the case, we played this with Kathy, and Kathy had one move that just blew me out of the water. Yeah. She laid one building that completed Four. Four buildings at the same time just by laying this building. And so as a result, we scored all of those buildings, and she got to place four castle pieces, completely changing the look of the castle. And what I thought was going to be a really good score on my next turn 
just went to crap because she had covered all the red seals that I was hoping for and turned them into black or silver seals. And right. my seals all of a sudden were not as valuable as they should have been. Well, and on top of that, it, it pushed the game to almost the brink of being over. Where I was like, I was kind of parceling out my turns thinking, oh, I, I have a couple turns to right. score my last two rounds because I made it all the way to the end and I was scrambling to score my last banner before we got to that final right. score, scoring round because I thought, oh, I've got plenty of time. So this game has a kind of momentum to it that once it gets going, boom, it can end exactly if you're not paying attention to the board in, in just the right way before you even realize what hit you, which I think that the ebb and flow of that feel of the game is really yeah, fun was, and interesting. It definitely had um, some unique things. Love the components. You know, those little castle pieces. Goober from Hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very If you're sweet. familiar with Torres, exactly. an older game, the little castle pieces are very similar to Torres, but basically the only difference is the little tile right, exactly. that's mounted in the top exactly. of the thing. Very, very cool game. So that's the first nominee, uh, Arcadia. Great little game. Spiel des Jahres nominee number two. So the next nominated game is Zularetto. Uh, the designer was Michael Schacht. Publishers were Abacus and Rio Grande Games. That's uh, for two to five players. Plays in about 45 minutes. I'd say even less probably once you know the game. And it's for ages about eight and up. requested response. Name that game! The object of Zularetto is to collect the most victory points by assembling full enclosures of animals within your zoo, building a variety of vending stalls, and avoiding negative points by having animals and vending stalls left over in your barn. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm going to go over the components here. So it's a really fun little zoo zoo animal collecting kind of game. There's 112 square tiles. There are eight different kinds of animals, typical zoo animals <laughs> that you would think of. There are 11 of each type of the eight different animals. Uh, there are four different kinds of vending stalls, three each uh, in the tiles, and there are 12 money tiles as well. Uh, the coolest as uh, piece of component in the game, though, is the five wooden trucks. And these are sort of, they're long wooden blocks with little uh, raised bits um, that will hold the tiles, the wooden, or the, the cardboard tiles in them, three tiles per truck. Um, and these are going to be the uh, trucks that you use to deliver your animals and your vending stalls to your different I, zoos. I love this component just because it's a truck. Yeah. It's really a truck load of goober. It's awesome. <laughs> awesome. I didn't even thought about that. How thick am I? So um, you've got the tiles. You've got the trucks. You also have your zoo board. Each person has an individual zoo board that's made out of cardstock. And it's um, on this zoo board, there are three enclosures that will house four, five, or six different animals, four or five or six animals. Adjacent to each of the enclosures are spaces for vending stalls. And then off to the side of the enclosures is your barn, which is kind of your catch-all for all the things you don't want to put out in your zoo at a particular <laughs> moment. Last but not least, there's an expansion board that each person could possibly pay for and add on to their zoo, which basically just adds another enclosure uh, under your zoo and gives you more room to put animals, which is how you're going to score points in the game. 
So the gameplay in this game is so completely simple. It's it you read it and you're like, what? It That's all there is to easy. it. But there's actually more depth to the game than you'd think from it being as simple as it is. So basically, there are three things that can happen during the the play of a, a round. There are multiple rounds that are going to make up the game. Um, you can either add a tile to a truck, you can take a truck, or you can do something that costs money. So adding a tile to, to a truck is as simple as it sounds. All the tiles that I just described are going to be mixed up and set into little stacks with one stack of 15 that is kind of set over to the side that will indicate the end game um, at the end of the game. Uh, so basically, if you're, ta- if you're taking a tile and putting it on a truck, you just flip over a tile from any of those stacks and you put it on a truck. Now, the thing to, Im- to impart to you is that these trucks don't belong to anyone. You don't know whose truck is going to go where. So you can, you know, if you if you want monkeys and you flip over a monkey and put it on that truck, you might not get to attach to that monkey in the truck because somebody else on their turn might say, well, I'm going to take that truck with that monkey right then and there. So the, the building of the trucks is really where the heart of the strategy of the game is. Now, taking a truck... Um, this is going to end your turn for the round. Basically, you're not going to get to do anything after you take the truck. Um, once you uh, take a truck, there has to be at least one tile on the truck in order for you to take it, and you have to place all the tiles on that truck somewhere in your zoo. So you can put them in your enclosures, you can put them in your barns. If they're vending stalls, you can put them where the vending stall things go. The thing to um, make sure that you know, though, is that you can only have one type of animal per enclosure. So if you start the enclosure with elephants, you can't suddenly have the <laughs> flamingos move in on the elephants a, a turn later. Not good. Uh, not good. There are ways by spending money that you can rearrange things, which I'm about to get to. But to start out with, if you've already started a, a monkey enclosure, the only thing that you can put in that enclosure is going to be monkeys. Otherwise, they're going to have to go in your barn, which everything can go in your barn. You can have multiples of animals and multiples of vending stalls, but they're not going to give you any points, and they're actually going to take away points from it, you at the right. end of the game. Just, so that's... Rem- just remember, don't leave your barn door open. <laughs> Thank you for that piece of advice. Public service announcement from David <laughs> Golson. So we've covered the first two. You can add tiles to the truck. You can take a truck, which would end your turn for the round. Or you can do something that costs money. You can spend one coin, two coins, or three coins. If you spend one coin, you can, do, you can either move or exchange tiles. If you move a tile, it's as simple as it sounds. You're just moving it physically from one spot in your zoo to another, um, and that's just a single tile. An exchange, which is really kind of interesting, is a two types of animals. So I could say, I'm going to move my monkeys and my elephants. Let's say I screwed up and I ended up getting a bunch of elephants and I didn't expect it, and I have a monkey sitting out there in an enclosure. I can say, I'm going to exchange for one gold all my monkeys for an elephant, they don't it doesn't have to be an equitable exchange they exactly. don't have to be equal so it could be one monkey for four elephants as long as where they end up there's enough space for both groups of animals i think the elephants get the short end of that deal if they have to move into the monkey enclosure yeah that's probably true <laughs> Um, so that's for one coin. For two coins, you can buy or discard. This is really kind of interesting. You can buy animals or vending stalls from other people's barns. So you have to kind of watch what you actually just slough into your barn because someone else could end up buying uh, the animals right out from underneath you, even if you had plans on them later. You uh, pay the person one of the two gold uh, or coins that you would pay, and then the other one goes to the bank. 
or you can discard a, a tile from your own barn to either prevent it from being purchased by someone else or at the end of the game, those are going to count as negative points so you can just jettison your animals, hopefully, so that you don't end up with negative points. Lastly, for three coins, you can add your uh, expansion onto your zoo. You can flip that board over and add it onto your zoo. Gives you another enclosure, another way to score. So basically, that's um, uh, the round. The round's going to end when everybody has taken a truck and placed those tiles in their thing. You push all the, the trucks back out to the middle, and the person who took the last truck is going to begin the new round with either taking tiles, putting them in the trucks, taking trucks, or spending money. That's basically the flow of the game. It's that simple. The game's going to end when you get to those last 15 tiles that you set aside, and then one last round is going to be played. You're going to count up your victory points, and the person with the most points is going to win. Um, now, how do you score points? I kind of have glossed over that a little bit. Each enclosure has a score for being either full or one short of being full. And so, obviously, if it's full, you're going to get more points. If you're not quite as full, you're going to get a little less points. If you're more than one animal short on your enclosure, you get no points for your enclosure at all, unless you have a, a vending stall next to it, in which case you're going to get one point per animal in your stall. So you're still going to get a little. Now here's the trick with the <laughs> barn. If you have anything left in your barn for each type of animal, it's minus two points. And for each type of vending stall, it's minus two points. So if you end up getting hosed with people giving you trucks with lots of stuff that you didn't want, you can end up, you know... Ha way in the hole uh, you know exactly. with what you have left over in your barn um, very last thing to mention is babies <laughs> <laughs> so each animal group has a few fertile male and fertile ana uh, female animal tiles and they're indicated by the little sex symbols uh, for the different animals um, if you're able to place a fertile male and a fertile female of the same type of animal in an enclosure, then they do what Mother Nature does best. <laughs> Parents, cover your children's eyes <laughs> right now. And they make a baby. You, there are little circular baby tiles that will immediately pop up, so it's a great way to actually get an extra bonus animal into an enclosure or maybe even to fill one out um, if you're lucky enough to kind of orchestrate your animals <laughs> in such a way that you get them together. Um, the, it's just a cute little mechanic. I think it's yeah, very fun. well worked into the game. Um, the action and the strategy come in the game come from uh, seeding the trucks with the animals that will help you, but also with messing with trucks that could possibly help your opponent. So if you see someone who's collecting, you know, a certain type, is collecting those uh, elephants, you might throw a couple monkeys on that truck, so he ends up having to take something that he really doesn't want to get what he really wants. Uh, money can be difficult to come by at certain points in the game, depending upon the luck of the tiles right. with the trucks. Or uh, I didn't mention that one way you can get a little extra money is when you fill your enclosure for the first time, you get a little extra money. Uh, so you have to kind of pick your spots wisely when you do those money actions with the moving and the exchanging and the buying. Uh, really fun, more less kid-like than I expected from opening I, I and knowing Absolutely. what the theme was. Well, what are your thoughts, Dave? I, I was exactly like you. I thought it looked a little kiddish, and I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it. But that mechanic of loading up those trucks is so streamlined, and so it's just perfect that all the players together are setting up the lots 
of tiles that are going to be chosen. And once again, since you can't do both at the same time, you're never going to draw a tile that you're guaranteed to get. Because if you draw <laughs> a tile, you have to load on a tr- load it on a truck, which means you're not going to be taking a truck this time. So that is just cool. And it does end up being, oh, Stephen's collecting monkeys. That truck has a monkey in it. He wants that. But he doesn't need any popcorn stands. I'll load him up with popcorn stands. If he's taking the monkey, he's taking more popcorn too. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is going to force him to pay later either to get rid of it. So it's, it's really neat setting up those lots of, of tiles, whether they be animals or coins or vending stands. It's just a really cool mechanic. Yeah, I enjoyed this game uh, a lot, and it really kind of surprised me because I thought of the of the bunch. This was the one that didn't necessarily yeah. light me on fire when I I saw. Not that the zoo theme. I mean, the zoo right. theme yeah, is exactly. really an interesting theme, but just it looked a little more it's, little kiddish. In its theme, it and, didn't seem as serious as the others. Yeah, know? so we mistook it for maybe not quite as serious a game. When, and that's our that's our own fault. That's, right. That, that's our. And I think what you mentioned earlier. Wow, was this fast? Yes. Yes. For the for the depth involved, I mean, this game yeah. really plays very quickly. I think it pl- could play easily in a half an hour. With, I mean, there's still some good difficult decisions to make within yep. that half hour, but you're not going to be feeling like you rushed through the game, and you're going to have had a good time playing it. And any game where you get to let your monkeys mate, yeah, I mean, I mean how can you go wrong with that? Yeah, how can you go with that? <laughs> no pooflinging, but at least we do get some mating. So, uh, second nominated game is Zularetto. Spiel des Jahres nominee number three. Next up is The Thief of Baghdad, co-published by Queen Games and Rio Grande Games. It was designed by Thorsten Gimler. It's for two to four players, ages eight and up. Retails for $35. You can find it online for between $21 and $28. As the bazaar slowly empties and the honorable citizens of Baghdad make their way home, you... The next hopeful thief of Baghdad are just getting started. <laughs> During the game, you will try to maneuver your thieves past the palace guards to steal the treasure. At the same time, you'll be using the guards in your service to block your opponent's thieves from doing the same. The first player to steal a predetermined number of treasure chests wins the game. Pretty cool little game anytime you get to steal stuff. You gotta love that. <laughs> so let's take a look at the components and what they do. First up is the game board. Very simple game board. It's got a picture of six palaces, and each palace is a different color. That's pretty much it. The palaces do have some different sections. They've got a specific area where you lay the treasure chest, a specific area where if you can get some thieves into that palace, where they are, and then there's some guard spaces, four guard spaces in each of the palaces. So let's take a look at the treasure chest. There's 24 of these treasure chest tokens. Four of these, at the beginning of the game, you put four of these in each palace in a stack of four. The top treasure chest is the easiest one to steal, and the bottom is the hardest. The way you measure how hard they are is by the number of thieves that you have to sneak into that palace. So for the first one, you only need to sneak four in there, and you'll be able to steal it. For the last one in each stack, you're going to have to sneak seven thieves in there just to steal that one. So then we've got uh, 48 wooden thieves, and these are the guys that you're going to be moving all around the palaces to try and sneak past the guards and take those treasures. Very cool. Um, then there are um, 24 wooden guards. There's eight neutral guards, and then each player also has four of their own color guards. At the beginning of the game, there's one neutral guard placed in each of the palaces, so that only leaves three open spaces now. Also, before we start the game, each player is going to, we're going to take turns, and all the players are going to put their colored 
guards in the rest of the guard spaces. So at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the game, after you've done this, some of the palaces may be completely full with four guards. Others may have a few empty spaces. But once all the palaces are loaded up with the guards, you're ready to go. There are 102 palace cards. Very simple cards. Each card shows one of the six colored palaces. And that's it. And you're going to use these cards to move, to maneuver all your pieces around the board, whether they be the neutral guards, your guards, or your thieves. All done through the play of these cards. Really cool. And last but not least, we have the eight dancer cards. Now, in addition to being fairly hot, <laughs> the dancer cards are wild cards. So the unique thing about this is that they're not in the stack of palace cards. They're in their own face-up stack beside the board. Any time during the game where you don't take any actions on your turn, you're going to get to draw three cards from the draw deck and one of the wild cards. So that's pretty cool. Here's the other cool thing. On a later turn, when you use the wild card, it doesn't get discarded. It goes right back to that face-up stack of wild cards. So there's always going to be a ton of these wild cards available, which is really cool. So let's take a look at a turn. Um, turns are pretty easy. On your turn, there are four different actions to choose from. Now, with a few exceptions, you can do as many actions as you have cards that will allow you to do those actions. You can do them in any order, in any number. Like I said, there's a couple exceptions, but you can pretty much do what you want. So let's take a look at the four actions. Action number one, you can place a thief into a palace. This costs, costs one card. You ha The card has to be the same color of the palace that you want the thief to go to. And what you have to do is you have to pay one card for each guard, each opposing guard in that palace. So let's say that there's one neutral guard and two of Steven's guards in there, and I'm trying to get in the orange palace. It's going to cost me three, three orange cards to get into that palace. But what I didn't explain before is, in addition to that, you have to have one of your guards in a palace that you're trying to get into. <laughs> I guess he's the one that so you kind of paid. Corrupt. Yeah, exactly. So have to have one of your own, and then you have to pay one card for all the opposing guys. Then we get to action number two, move your own guard. This costs one card. The card can either match the current location of the guard or the location that he's going to. Either or, you pay the one card and you just move the guard, as long as there's an open guard space in the palace that you want to go to. Number three is move your own guard and bring a thief with him. This costs exactly the same thing as moving a guard. You just get the benefit of... If there was a thief there, you could move him right along with him. This is probably the most popular action because it's the <laughs> cheapest way to move your thieves around. And then the last one is to move a neutral guard. This is the most expensive action. It costs two cards. You have to play a card matching the current destin or the current location of the guard and the destination of the guard. So you have to play both of them. After you've played all your cards, remember you can do pretty much any any number of these. After you've played, made all your actions, you draw three cards um, at Basically, you just keep taking turns like this forever, um, and when somebody finally gets the correct number of treasure chests, the game is over. It's that simple. <laughs> I think in our game, we had three of us, right? Yes. So we had to be the first one to get five treasure chests. That's right. Um, and it was just ultra, ultra cool at how you were manipulating, the at the same time, trying to get all your little thieves snuck into these palaces, but at the same time, you could, you could absolutely see what your opponent's Oh, he's got his eyes on that green palace. I better get some of my guards over there so he can't just waltz in and take the stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, a deceptively easy game again. Yes. Um, just once we started playing, we're like, 
this is it and then a few rounds and we're like oh yeah this is it that that light bulb <laughs> moment came for me when you know you at first like you said the rules seem so simple you just play the color to match the thing and move the guys okay i get the concept but then suddenly you see all the combinations of things that you can do once right. you get several cards that there's you know it's not analysis paralysis by analysis it's much more having to try to plan out you know what's the best possible thing when you fan your cards open and you can see okay i need to get guys to there but almost never is there a case where you fan your cards open and you just go oh i'm screwed i you know i don't have the right right cards to do it it really encourages kind of creative thinking in ways of moving your guys around the board that might not be as straightforward as just (laughs) oh i'm going to move my guy to point x and my turn is over there are all sorts of creative ways that you can use your cards to achieve what you actually want to do that that isn't apparent when you first right. just hear the rules to the game, and that to me was that light bulb moment where I'm like, "Wow, so I this can't game has a lot more going on about it than I realized." I at can't first. remember who did it first, but it was whichever one of us did that combo move first, where you're like, "Oh yeah, I play one card to do this. Now he's there. Now I can move this guy to drag him over there. Move that one out over there, and all of a sudden you did what you thought was going to take seven turns." in one single turn it's like ooh this is cool yeah <laughs> and the, the moving of the neutral guards especially to mess with people if you can see that someone is on the verge of, of having enough thieves to get in there just making their lives really <laughs> difficult by moving those guards around is really fun and I, lo- I love the addition of the um, almost guaranteed wild card mm. you know if you do get to that at a point where your card hose which I don't remember happening you can just go fine. I don't have what I want. Throw them away. Give me a wild card. I know I'm going to at least have one thing that's that's useful. Yeah, there're going to be turns where if you've done several of those combos where you get low on cards and your best strategy is to just say, "Okay, I'm doing nothing but drawing cards this turn." Exactly. And how cool is it that for doing that you actually get the benefit card. of getting a wild card right. into your hand in there that which can really tip the balance uh when it comes right down to it at right. the end. Um uh, just so fast, but yet really good strategy to it that yeah it is neat that seems to kind of be a theme yeah it's hmm. running through all these games this game should be nominated for the spiel des Jahres. <laughs> go figure <laughs> so that's the third game third nominee the thief of baghdad spiel des Jahres nominee number four so next on the nominated games is jenseits von theben uh, which means beyond thebes in english uh, designer is Peter Prinz. Publisher is Queen and Rio Grande Games. Thanks again to Queen and Rio Grande for hooking us up and getting us this copy, even awesome. though it's not available in the United States yet. Uh, it's for two to four players. It's about a 60-minute game. I would say it's actually more like 90 minutes, given the amount of depth and strategy right. involved. Maybe maybe we're just slow. <laughs> they say 10 and up. I'd probably say you need a pretty precocious 10-year-old to get the grasp of this one but um it's a great great game it's a little more in depth than some of the other ones so if i gloss over a few of the things you know we're we're covering five whole games here so don't don't take me to the (laughs) whipping post if i don't cover every little last technical detail but we want to give you a good overview of the game so the object of the game is to collect the most victory points through excavations of artifacts hosting exhibitions 
amassing special knowledge in different areas of archaeology, and collecting Congress cards. So you're all basically archaeologists around the turn of the 19th to the 20th century. The game starts in 1901 or 1902 and runs through 1903, and you're trying like mad to collect artifacts, exhibitions, to give you points to win the game. So let's go over the components real quickly here. There's a game board. Um, the game board depicts seven cities in Europe, plus five excavation sites. There's a time track around the outside of the board and a year marker to indicate when the year goes from 1901 to 2 to 3. Um, and there are also places for researcher and exhibition cards. Now here are the cards. There are two types of cards, researcher and exhibition cards. The researcher cards include knowledge cards, support cards, and congress cards. The exhibition cards have five small and five large, large exhibitions. Now here are the three traits that all the cards have in common. Um, all the cards will tell you where you can go to get them, how much time it's going to cost you to take them off the board, and a special ability that you're going to gain by taking that card and putting it in front of you. Um, we'll get into the cards a little more in detail when we talk about a game turn. Um, you get a little woody, wooden archaeologists that represent you in the game, one per player, and you're going to be moving them around the board to represent where you are in the world on a particular turn. Um, there are excavation permissions, which are little tiles. There are five different ones for each of the different five excavation sites, and each player is going to get a set of these tiles. And last but not least, uh, or I guess not, the, not last but not least, we have two things left. Um, there are excavation bags and tokens. Um, these, there are these really nice cloth bags that each have screen printed on them, um, sort of the icon representing that particular location. And then the bags are full of tokens. Oh, slightly over half <laughs> the tokens are useless debris tokens. The other half have artifacts worth either points or tokens that are going to add to your knowledge of that area. Um, and there's a separate bag. So there's five cloth bags, each with a, a set of tokens in each one of these things. Now, last but not least, <laughs> the time wheel, the coolest component of, of the game, um, is each archaeologist gets this time wheel. It's two discs that are held together by a little uh, rivet. One disc has little windows that let numbers from the second disc kind of show through as it's rotated. We'll explain how the time wheel affects the game um, once we get into the game turn, which is right now. Uh, so in a, game, in a typical game turn, the thing to keep in mind about this game, which is really freaky, is that time is the currency in this game. The player whose token is farthest back on the time track is the player who gets to go. Now that player is going to continue to take turns until their token is no longer the farthest back on the time track. So people may get multiple turns in a row. It's just very different than your average, oh, it's your turn, and then it's your turn. Right. You look at the time track, and whoever's furthest back is going to keep going until they've kind of leapfrogged over the second to last person, and then it's going to become their, their turn. At the beginning, you just start randomly since you're all at the same point on the track. So the first question to ask on your turn is, where do you want to go? Moving from place to place costs you one week per place. The little time track is broken down into 52 spaces, the 52 weeks of the year. So um, a three-city journey, for instance, is going to cost you three weeks of time, and you're going to move your little uh, marker on the time track forward three weeks. 
Now, once you arrive where you want to be, you have up to four choices depending upon where you are. You can take a researcher card. You can exchange all the face-up researcher cards to give yourself better choices in the future. You can go on an excavation or you can host an exhibition. So we're going to cover the researchers and the exhibitions kind of together cool. here. Taking a researcher card, there are four researcher cards that are going to be face up on the board that are going to determine where you're going to go to pick them up. Like I said, the cards tell you where you can go to get them and the number of extra weeks that it's going to take to actually take that card. Now, these researcher cards are going to have things like specialized knowledge that are little books that are color-coded to the different excavation sites. So it's going to be very easy. So, for instance, Crete is purple, so it might have purple books on there. It might If it has one, that's going to give you one specialized knowledge in terms of Crete, or green is Palestine, so on and so forth. It's very easy to tell. There are little rumor guys that have little people that are also color-coded that are also going to give you specialized knowledge. There are also special cards like blimps that will allow you to right. move faster and things like that. And the Congress cards um, will show up there as well, which is one of the ways that you can accrue points at the end of the game. Um, exhibitions work very similarly. They're going to be, during the course of the game, exhibition cards that are going to be flipped up face up on the board, and they're going to tell you where you need to go to get them, um, just like with the researcher cards. But in addition to the time cost that you have to pay for an exhibition card, you must also be able to show the artifacts that, are, that show up on the exhibition cards. The small exhibitions might have only one or two artifacts in one or two different colors. The large artifacts are going to require at least three different color artifacts and a varying number of the artifacts on there. So in order to get those exhibitions, which again are going to give you victory points at the end, you're going to have to have amassed artifacts from of the, the digs that you're going to go on in the rest of the game. But in order to take them off the board, it's very similar to the researchers. You're going to go to the place, spend the cost that it takes you to go to that place, look at the card, there's going to be a cost associated on that card in time, and then if you can fulfill the requirements of that card, you get to take it and you're going to place it in front of you, and you'll either get the special ability or if it's an exhibition, you're going to get the points associated with it. So now the heart of the game are the ex excavations. So that's where we're going to spend the rest of my time talking about. Um, the, the heart of the game is going on the, these excavations in the five different sites. You must have at least one specialized knowledge in the area that you want to explore. And you have to have a valid uh, excavation token. You can only go on one excavation per site per year unless you have a card that, that breaks that rule. So if both those things are lined up, um, then here's how you go on the excavation. You're going to add up all your knowledge, both general and specific. The only rule is that you can never put in more general knowledge than specific. So those little researcher cards, remember, some of the, inf some of the knowledge, the books, are color-coded to specific areas. That's your specialized knowledge. Some of them are just open books and aren't colored. Those are your general knowledge. You can add up all that knowledge together, just remembering that you can never have more general then specific, and you come up with this number. Now, remember that cool time wheel I told you about? You're going to take that time wheel out, and you're going to rotate it so that the number of your knowledge is at the top in the little blue field, and you're going to read down. Now, the numbers that are listed below on there, there are two, there's sort of two columns of numbers. 
One number is going to list the number of tokens that you can take out of the bag, and the other is the number of weeks it's going to take you. So you have to say, okay, I'm going to go on this expedition. I'm going to have a total of, let's say, eight knowledge. So I rotate my thing to the eight. I'm going to look down on my little time wheel and say, oh, if I stay for four weeks, I would get to draw three tiles out of the bag. And that's, let's say, the most that I want to do because it, you know, the charts vary depending upon the amount of knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the more draws you're going to get to take out of the bag. So let's say I'm willing to do that. Okay, I'm going to spend four weeks. I mark my little time thing forward on the time track four. I grab the bag for, let's say, Palestine. I've gone to Palestine. I reach into the bag and I pull out uh, three of those tokens. I could draw three completely useless debris tokens. I could draw three artifacts. I could draw a mixture. If I draw good stuff, if I draw stuff with points or with knowledge, I get to keep them. If I draw debris, they go right back into the bag, thus increasing the chances uh, or decreasing the chances of you drawing good stuff because there's just going to be, you know, the amount of debris stays constant while the amount of good stuff goes down and down and down and down. So you're going to be collecting these artifacts throughout the game. You're going to be collecting researchers to try to give yourself a better chance to go to these different places to get the artifacts. Once you have the artifacts, you're going to try to go get uh, do the exhibitions, like I said, to collect more victory points. And if after everybody's made it to 1903, you're going to look and sort of sit back and say, say what did I accomplish? Look at your artifacts, look at your exhibitions, look at your Congress cards, and then finally look at your specialized knowledge. This is one of the extra cool things, I think. For each of the different areas, all your little specialized knowledge books that you've collected, those color-coded books, you add up all those books, and the person who has the most in each of the particular areas is going to score five extra points. So there's 25 points in play here that are going to be distributed amongst the different people after you've done that, you add up all your points, basically, including those bonus points, and the person with the most points is going to be the winner of Jensheit's von Thaben. <laughs> I know it's a lot to cover, and it's a little hard to get your brain around, I'm sure, as I'm describing it, but the excavations, the thing to, to keep in mind is just the, the push-pull of the game is you go to all the cities in Europe to get the knowledge that you need to then go on these expeditions to have the knowledge to increase the number of pulls that you're going to get to pull out of the different bags. Just a wonderfully innovative concept. Uh, I just had a blast with this game. Dave, what what did you think? Yeah, I I thought this game was ultra cool. There was just a handful of things. Um, Probably one of the coolest things was the fact that time was the currency. I love how you could manipulate time in your favor. Um, If you were the person who's in last, the the farthest behind in time-wise then it's your turn. As long as you stay in last place, it's still your turn. And I love trying to eke out those, maybe those freebie turns that you could get. Well, right. if I only spend one week doing this, I'll still be in last place and I can go again. Ultra cool. You could you could do several things. And so you could start kind of planning. And you're like, oh, Stephen, please go to Palestine and have a huge, spend like eight weeks there because I've got these three things that I can do. If you'll just move eight weeks forward, you know, so I, I really like the time aspect, and obviously being the goober, you know, crazy goober hound, the wheels are ultra cool. you know. Those, and the uh, bags full of chips, yeah, I think, it, are really yeah, exactly. cool. That, to me, I love moments in games where you have that moment of drama, yeah. where you're drawing from the bag, and you know you need 
you know, you've drawn four of your five tokens and you've got nothing but debris and you're like, the, you you can just kind of do the, you know, it's fake tension, but it but right. yeah, when you get into the game, it feels real. That This game definitely had that exactly. going and for, for it, And for those of you who are um, shivering, going, oh, I hate to draw random stuff out of a bag, there are cards laid beside the board that show you the exact contents, the makeup of the good tiles. Not only how many there are, but specifically how many victory points you know, there's two tiles in here that will give you five victory points and only one that will give you six. Mm-hmm. So you know that. And then when the other people collect them, they're sitting right there in front of them. So you almost have perfect information, even though you're drawing randomly out of a bag. Right. You know, and the <laughs> fact that the 16 useless debris things stay in there and it gets harder and harder. Yeah. You know, I've, at one time, I think I wanted to go to Greece. I'm like, that's my next move. I'm going there. Somehow, Francie beat me there and pulled out four or five artifacts in one pole, leaving next to nothing in there for me. So when I went there, it was yeah. like, okay, 16 useless debris, four good things in there. Well, and, and on the opposite side of that, what it was Palestine. The, there had only been two, I think, artifacts taken out of in our particular it's, game. Exactly. So I'm like, wow, I should really go there because I have a lot of knowledge in there, kind of as my last hurrah in the game. I can draw like 10 things out because I had so much <laughs> knowledge. I drew nothing good. I, it was it was completely ridiculous. It was completely all debris. I was like, yeah. that is not possible. But yeah, I, it obviously was. <laughs> um, but uh, any other thoughts on the insights here before no, we I, wrap it up? No, I think they think they get a did a great job on everything. To they kind of took um, maybe a complicated idea, and I think did as well as anybody could do as making it simple. Just yes. by just by the graphics, using a correct use of colors, and the way everything lined up, it just. All those things made sense, even though they maybe shouldn't have on the very first couple turns. Yes, for as innovative as it was, the flow became very natural right. very quickly. That's the that's the thing I guess I would want to convey. Uh, so I think that's number four nominated game on the Spiel des Jahres here. Jenseits von Theben. Spiel des Jahres nominee number five. Okay, last one. Yispahan, co-published by Yastari Games and Rio Grande Games. It was designed by Sebastian Pachon. It's for two to four players, ages eight and up. Retails for $50. You can find it online for between $30 and $40. In Yispahan, each player takes on the role of a trader, displaying his goods in the shops of Yispahan. Attracting the attention of the Shah's supervisor will allow those goods to be transported via caravan across the desert. Each player can earn victory points by placing their goods in the right shops, sending those goods to the caravan, and by building buildings to increase their business's effectiveness. The player with the most victory points at the end of the game wins. So here's a quick look at the components. Uh, The main game board is called the City Game Board. And basically, it has a score track around the outside. And since the game is played over the course of three weeks, it has a week track and a day track in the center. The majority of the board is the four neighborhoods. These four neighborhoods are divided by two roads. And these are the roads that the supervisor is going to use throughout the game. If he wanders next to a certain shop, he may take the goods out of it and send it to the caravan. Um, each, na- each neighborhood is also subdivided into groups of specific color buildings called souks. During the game, you're going to have a chance to put your goods in these shops, and you're going to want to try and have um, one of your cubes in each of the buildings of a particular souk. That's the only way that you're going to score them at the end. 
There's two other boards. These are smaller boards that are set to the side of the main board. The first one is the tower board that I always like to call the action board because <laughs> that's where the six possible actions for each day are going to happen. There's room to roll to put the dice on. We'll explain the dice in a minute. Don't don't be frightened. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's also a caravan board, and this board has a picture of um, pictures of camels on them. There are three rows of four camels, and as the supervisor tours the shops, he'll be sending cubes, good cubes over there, and they'll be assigned to the camels over in the caravan. Um, there are four player boards. Each player at the start of the game is going to get a player board, and these boards keep track of the buildings that you've built. Basically, the buildings, once you've built them, are going to afford you certain bonuses when you take other actions in the game. So that's pretty cool. Um, there are 100 wooden goods cubes, and these are just your trusty, <laughs> dusty little you know, wooden cube, same as all the games we're used to. They're used to keep track of pretty much everything. The buildings that you've built, the shops that you've put goods in, and which goods of yours are actually in the caravan. Then there's 25 wooden coins and 25 wooden camels. These are the currency of the game. There's two types of currency. You're going to use these to build those buildings that we were talking about. Some of those buildings take coins. Some of them take camels. Some of them take both. Pretty cool. Then there are dice. <laughs> there are 12 large wooden dice, 9 white and 3 yellow. Um, at the beginning of each day, these dice will be rolled. They'll be put on the action board to determine which actions are available. Notice I said there's white and yellow. You always have to roll the white, but you have an option to pay money to roll the yellow. The cool things about the yellow dice is the actions that they will eventually represent are going to only be there for you, the person who rolled the dice. All the other players, unfortunately, aren't going to have access to those. Pretty cool. And then there's 18 double-sided cards. Another very unique thing, um, the main, the front, the face of the card is going to give you kind of a special ability or an action that you're going to be do, be able to take in addition to your normal turn. Here's the neat thing. The back of the card has icons on them that if you don't want to use the face, you can add this to an action that you're going to take a standard action and it's going to give you a bonus for that action. Ultra cool. Nothing wasted in this game. Very right. cool. <laughs> So let's take a look at how the game plays out. I hinted that the game plays over the course of three weeks, and each week is subdivided into, of course, seven days. So there's going to be seven days, and then you're going to score at the end of that week. There's going to be a second week of seven days, another scoring, a third week, and another scoring. So there's going to be three scorings over the course of the whole game. So let's take a look at a typical day in Ispahan. So at the very beginning of every day is a supply phase. Whoever is the current um, player right now will roll all nine of the dice, maybe add those three ones in, those other three yellow ones in if they, if they want to, and they'll group the dice by values. So all the ones that they roll, they'll kind of group together. All the sixes, they'll group together. Once they've got the, these grouped together, then they're going to actually assign them to that tower board or the action board. And the way it's going to be done is actually pretty simple. I thought it was wacky at the beginning, but it's really neat. The lowest value are going to be assigned to the bottom of the board, which is they're going to be assigned to the action that represents collecting camels. The, the highest value that you roll, those group of dice are going to be assigned to the top of the board, and that's the action that represents collecting coins. The four actions that are left in the middle are the actions that represent placing your cubes in each of the four neighborhoods. different neighborhoods that are out there. And the way this is done is the second highest value would go in the um, neighborhood just above the camels, the third highest above that, and so on. The cool thing here is 
unless you roll at least one die showing every value, in other words, one, 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 two, one, three, all the way up through one, six, there's going to be actions that you're not going to get to take because you're not going to roll a one through six Every, every single turn. day. In fact, there may be turns where you, only, you roll all nine, nine dice and there's only two values, <laughs> which means you're only going to assign the lowest to the camels and the highest of the coins. There won't be any placing of goods in the city at all. <laughs> Ultra freaky. So once the supply, supply phase is finished and all the dice have been assigned to that tower board, now each of the players gets a turn in this day. Starting with the, the starting player, um, you look at the action board or the tower board and choose which action you want to do. And that what you're going to do is you're going to take all the dice in that um, slot. slot for the action, and you're going to remove them. And you're going to get to take that action in a number that's equivalent to the number of dice that were there. So let's say that I wanted to go ahead and take camels, mm-hmm. and there were three dice in the camel slot. Pretty easy. I take three camels. (laughs) Same thing with the coins. Same thing with putting goods in the shop. If there's four cubes in one of those, you take four out. You put a cube in four of the different shops in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Now, notice that I said you're taking the dice out. That's because once I take an action, if I had taken that camel action, that action is no longer available for the remaining players of this day. Pretty cool. The other thing is if when it gets to you, there's really not any actions that you want to take. Each of the action spaces on that action on the tower board give you kind of an alternate action that you can take. And that is drawing a card or moving the supervisor. So if there's nothing left that you really want to do, you're still going to be able to do something, which is really cool. Yeah, so, and those aren't afterthought actions at all. I mean, in oh, many no, cases, very, that might be no, something you want to do instead exactly. of putting cards on the board. Exactly. There's definitely sufficient strategies involving those two other things that make you it's a tough decision whether you want to do the main action or the other ones um once ever once you take your action then you could also build those buildings we were talking about if you've got the coins and or the camels you can build one of those buildings in front of you um once that's over once that's over the next player takes their turn you keep doing this for seven days at the end of seven days you're ready to score now the scoring is the same at the end of um, every single week, one, two, and three, um, there's two things that score. Before we talk about the things that score at the end of the week, there are a couple of things that you can earn points for during the game. And those buildings, when you build the buildings, after you've built your third building, all the buildings are worth points, and you get those immediately. Um, the caravan, when the supervisor sends goods cubes over to the caravan, um, depending upon where they're placed on the caravan, they can earn points immediately. Those are the things that can earn immediately. Also, I believe if the caravan board fills up um, prior to the end of a week, it will score immediately. Other than that, all the rest of scoring is done at the end of the weeks. So the first thing we'll look at is the scoring in the souks at the end of each week. Um, And on the boards is a little number. It shows you exactly how much each souk is worth. So if through the course of the first week I have um, played a goods cubes in each of the four shops of one souk, it'll tell me that it's worth seven victory points. However, you have to have one in every one. If you're even missing one, you get no points whatsoever. So that's really easy. Run through the neighborhoods. The, um, the, va- the victory points are printed right on the board. Can't be any easier. Uh, the caravan is the other way to score, and it's a little wackier, but it's pretty cool. Remember I said there was three rows of four camels. Kind of levels, basically. Right, exactly. Three levels, exactly. So what you're going to do to score that is you're going to see what is the highest level that I achieved in the caravan. Let's say it was the third level. And how many total cubes do I have in the caravan? Let's say it was four. So it'll be those four cubes 
times the highest level I achieved, which is three, four times three, 12, 12 victory points. As easy as that. Those are the two what those are the two ways that you score. You score like that at the end of every week. At the end of the game, it's whoever has the most victory points. <laughs> it's a really, really cool and very inventive, neat little game. Any what do you what do you think about this puppy? I was just shocked at how quick it was because when I read the rules and I saw well, it's, you know, three weeks, which is twenty one days. That means twenty one turns. I was thinking, wow, this is actually gonna take a little while and with all the different choices that you have and I mean, you just like turn around and the game's <laughs> over and that's not because you're doing things just mindlessly. It's just that the game really has a, a really well thought out flow Absolutely. to the dice are rolled, you get you know, you get around to your choices, you have a lot of choices, but yet the dice dictate you know, what your choices are to a certain extent. Exactly. So, you know, you can't agonize on any one given day because, you know, well, tomorrow's another day. I'll get to roll the dice and maybe things will turn out the way I want. Um, that there's, there's just so many strategies that you can apply. That That's to me, the, the replay about replay value. This is really, really high because you could come at the game from so many different angles. Okay, this time I'm going to go for the souks. Like I went really heavy into the uh, caravans. Right. Tried to be really aggressive about getting my guys into the caravans and score points. The- there, there are just so many different ways I could have gone totally away from that and gone after the souks the next right. time. Or you could just go for cards because the yeah. abilities on the cards did, are none so of us cool. Did that very, very right. much. And the buildings. I mean, you can go for building all those buildings because those bring in truckloads of victory points if you can build them all. Right. You know, so there's several viable strategies that you can take, and a mixture of all of them kind of makes it, you know, mind-boggling. And to have kind of depth, a little bit of depth. And strategy, but also with randomness. Right. As, you know, as much randomness is thrown in there, that's a very interesting combina- combination that they've managed to, to walk that line and walk pretty darn well. Right. And I, I mean, we all know, you know, my affection for <laughs> dice. Yes. So I really thought this game was cool, but I think anybody, even somebody who's not addicted to dice, would think that this is an amazing use of the dice. This mechanic. Mm-hmm. Where it's loaded up, where it's used to determine the actions, and not just the actions, but the the um, the quality of the action, yeah. you know, based on the number of dice. Because you you know you may want camels, but there's only one die in the slot this time. Or the next time you may want camels, and there's six dice in there. You're like, wow, yeah. I'll be taking that for six <laughs> camels. Just really inventive and very cool. In a weird way, it kind of it's, it has a little bit in common with that to court the king. It's almost right. it sort of pays off in the way that the court to king didn't that there's that extra layer of strategy without getting really bogged down exactly um, that I like to court the king yeah. but this even raises oh, the bar even yeah. higher I'd say in very, terms of very. finding a way to take that randomness of the dice and the way the dice are all kind of distributed out and, and doing something really interesting with it yeah it's uh, have nothing to say but good things this was really really cool so I guess that was the fifth game the last nominee. Yes, Isfahan. Isfahan. Now we want to let you know uh, that all of these games are available at timewellspent.org. They're actually doing a really cool uh, sale um, in conjunction with kind of our Spiel des Jahres episode um, for the next week. So from Monday the 25th of June to Monday the 2nd of July, all the Spiel des Jahres recommended games, which is the 20 that, games yeah. on the shortlist, are going to be an additional dollar off. Awesome. Um, all the nominated games are going to be $2 off. Woo! And the winner 
of the Spiel des Jahres for 2007 is going to be three dollars wow, off. Awesome. They're already you know discounted prices. Right. So, um, that's a really great sale, and and I'd totally encourage you to to check out the the sales there at yeah, uh, please, Time Will Spent. They're trying to kind of sync up with us on our episodes and and try to offer some really interesting deals in addition to their already normally good deals. Exactly. Um, just that are special things that we're covering on our show. So here's a great way that not even the you know the five games we covered, if any of them sounded good, that you're going to get two extra bucks off. Or those that the 20, the list of other fifteen games. games. Yeah. yeah, that's a great yeah. way to save a little on I, those. And then the winner, you're going to get three bucks off. So that's a, right. a really good deal. I, I'd feel pretty comfortable in recommending the all these five games are something that you cannot go wrong with. Oh, enthusiastically, in your, yeah, I would in, in your collection. I would without a doubt, you know, go. I would buy all five of these. Luckily, we have four of the five. You know, <laughs> yeah, we've recently we've done purchased. Them all. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I would highly recommend this would be a great way to get yeah. all five of them. Timewellspent.org. Um, you're not probably going to find a better deal in terms of price uh, very many places other right. than, than Time Well Spent at this point with this sale especially. Um, yeah. I would I would highly and encourage you remember to Remember, the sale out. only goes till July 2nd, right? Right. So yeah. it's just yeah. going to be a week. Um, so hop on there and, and get those deals while the getting's good. Exactly. Now, of course, we haven't forgotten the other time we'll spend. Yeah, there is a little unfinished business that probably everybody's going, come on, get come on. To it, for God's sake. <laughs> what are you doing? So we have our contest from last time. If you remember, they were offering to kick off their sponsorship here on the Spiel three games as the big prize pack. Notre Dame, Coliseum, and Factory Fun to one lucky winner. We got truckloads of response. Yeah. I cannot believe the number. I mean, numbering in the hundreds. Yeah. Absolutely over. Way more than we would have expected, I think, for this initial yeah, contest. Great, great turnout. Really awesome response. So, uh, And all over the world. That's the one thing we do, do need to mention is international listeners can now enter the contest. Yep. We posted something on the site. Um, hopefully, you were able to get to the site and found out that a couple days after the um, we put the show out, we found out that if the international listeners were willing to pay for the shipping, time well spent would love to send them all around the world. So, <laughs> so anybody around the world listening to us is free to enter the contest because we're going to continue the contest, and we'll give the details about those in a minute. But time to not we can't string you on forever yeah, yeah, exactly. here. So, so we should probably let's expose what the answer was. Okay, just to, for anybody okay. who may not have figured it out, if you went to the landlord page. At time well spent, you would have found a little graphic of a um, a really blown up graphic of a game. That game was in fact to call, <laughs> and we had tons of you guys that figured hundreds it out. And hundreds exactly. of people who got it all. So right. we were really thrilled that that many people were able to figure it out. And so we have our trusty dusty bag, gargantuan bag. Yeah. We actually emptied out one of the Yensites von Fabian uh, bags since. We had been recently <laughs> digging for artifacts in there. We so filled it with very, very small pieces of paper. You can hear all those oh. hundreds of pieces of paper here. And I'm going to draw out the winner. Here we have it. Can you hear that? I have the winner in my hand. Dun, dun, dun. It's Angus O'Nea of Dorchester, Massachusetts. Wow. I hope can... I didn't butcher your first name. Oh. Congratulations. But, uh, congratulations to Aungus Onia. We will be in contact with you very soon to uh, arrange for all the three the awesome stuff. games courtesy yeah. of time well spent. <laughs> that is you couldn't ask for a better deal. Yeah. That is great. <laughs> so congratulations. Um, 
Now, of course, we're going to continue the contest here. Um, they're offering another um, contest. It's going to be the winner of the Spiel des Jahres is How going cool to be the that? prize for this week's contest. Going to work very similarly to last contest. Um, the image, it's going to be another blown up image of a game, and you're going to have to try to identify which of the games, you know, which game that is. Uh, the image is going to be on one of the nominated games pages cool. on timewellspent.org. So you go awesome. there, look at the five games that we've talked about. Um, uh, the only clue is that uh, you might want to cons- the, consider the theme of this week's episode when exactly. you're actually uh, looking at the uh, image. I, th- that I, might think, be uh, li- I think Jared, Jared's thrown down the gauntlet this time. This was definitely a little tougher. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're going to also uh, th- put out the challenge. Let's see if we can get as many entries this time as we did last time because yeah. that was an amazing response, and this one's a little tougher. So remember, you send your guesses to us here at The Spiel at either Stephen at thespiel.net or Dave at thespiel.net and put time well spent contest in the subject line so we can keep that straight from the, the name that game contest, <laughs> which is a separate one. Um, and if you can correctly identify with uh, the name or the, <laughs> if, you can, if you can correctly identify the game from that image, then you'll be entered into the contest. Dave, when is this one? What's the cutoff date for this uh, one? We're going to set a cutoff date of midnight July 4th. Okay. Because we'll be heading out of town, obviously, for Origins, and we want to kind of get some stuff wrapped up. Along with that, we also want to go ahead and make sure we finish off um, the back shelf connection by July 4th. So remember, July 4th, midnight, July 4th, midnight. Those are the deadlines for the Time Well Spent contest, Name That Game contest, Back Shelf Spotlight Connection contest, 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 it's July just... 4th. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so... Thanks again to timewellspent.org for sponsoring the spiel. Check out their sales at timewellspent.org and look for that uh, special clue there. And we hope to be hearing from you. Congratulations again to Angus Onia, and maybe you'll be the lucky winner on this next one. And the winner is... Well, we've reached uh, critical mass here, Dave. Yep. We've covered all five games. We're going to get. I'm going to let you off the hook here just for a second because okay. I think, just in your mind and in the minds of our listeners, you should be thinking about the official Spiel des Jahres judging criteria. Cool. Um, so before you you lay your uh, prediction on the line here, um, here are the the four things that they have listed on the Spiel des Jahres website as the things that their judges consider. Okay. Game concept which includes originality, playability, game value, the rules structure, which is composition, clearness, comprehensibility, the layout, which is the box, the board, the rules, and finally the design, the functionality, and the workmanship of the components. Um, Now, the really interesting thing is I've actually had a correspondence with one of the jury members from the Spiel des Jahres this year. His name is Stefan Duksch. And uh, I sent off just a little email on, as a lark, thinking, I, who, you know, who knows? You might get a response, you might not, and got this nice, wonderful response from Stefan, um, asking him about the criteria and just general questions about the thing. So here, here was his, uh, from the words of the actual Spiel des Jahres jury member himself, here are some things cool. that he, he threw in that I thought people would be interested in hearing. So in terms of the criteria, he says if one in particular isn't fulfilled, the chance for a game to be recommended, um, or even more than that, is very small. 
In comparison of the criteria, the game concept and its originality is very important. Cool. So it's interesting that that that's they weight that. That's right. Um, consistent for our selection is this goal: to make a good recommendation for people who do not buy more than four or five games a year. They trust us every year, so the idea is to select a different game idea than in the year before, so that they don't have the impression that all games work the same way. Makes perfect, that's, yeah, that's absolute sense. Awesome. Um, every game has to get a minimum of six votes because it needs a majority. There are ten members of the jury. They need six votes for a game to get recommended, to get nominated, and finally to win. Um, if they have contentious voting and it takes more than one round, they'll start a new round and eliminate the game that got the least number of votes right. until they eventually end up with a winner. Cool. So just as a little background, I thought that was yeah, really, excellent. really interesting information. And thank you, uh, Stefan, for for sending us. You know, I know right. he's really busy with their. Oh, they're yeah. getting ready to make exactly. their selections and announcements. So I know they're very busy. So thanks to Stefan Dukes for for uh, responding to our questions yes. here and giving us a little insight, <laughs> and help with our predictions here. So we thought what we'd do is start with what was our favorite. Yeah, I think we decided we were going to pick our what our favorite game of these five games were, and then do something a little different. Stephen and I would each pick a runner-up to the Spiel des Jahres, even though that really doesn't exist. And then finally, we would go ahead and reveal our, our picks the for the big one. Exactly. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that I don't envy those judges at all. Oh no, this Man, is a tough choice. You know, there's they were just all so good, and to actually have to pick one to say this is out and out. You know, the game that fits this best, tough, tough decision. Mm -hmm. But uh, I guess we have to do we it. We have to do it. We have to do it. <laughs> so we want to start with, out of these five, what was our favorite game? You want to go first or you want me to? I'll go first. Okay. Uh, Arcadia. Actually, was probably my favorite, and probably mostly because of the elegance of the game, the way they they used an abstract strategy game. I mean, I was terrible mm -hmm. at this game. I, <laughs> I did not get it until the very end, but I really enjoyed the sort of elegant simplicity of the rules and understanding, you know, understanding how to best use the rules in right. terms of the game. I really appreciated that in terms of just being able to sit down and and play. I didn't necessarily do the best at that game, but I thought. Um, that was probably initially after one play was probably my favorite of the the bunch. Cool. What about you? Hard to believe. My favorite game was Arcadia. Oh, what are you doing? You're just copycatting Can me. Can you now. believe that? You are just copycatting me. I thought this me. was the coolest game. I thought, um, <laughs> in addition to the components being really cool, I thought that the way they tied the abstract strategy of the board game in with the scoring mechanism of the banners was just ultra cool. I love being able to score when you think it was in your best interest yes, yes. to score, and that the scoring wasn't just scoring. It was the only way to get more of your workers behind the screen to yet score better in the future. I just thought that was really, really cool. And like you said, it was streamlined. The rules were streamlined. It was just an elegant, elegant game. Loved it a lot. This was my favorite of the five. And it's not like the others were a long well, way behind. Yeah, It's just that if you have to pick one. This was my favorite game. All right. Well, uh, runner-up. We're, we're here. We're, we start out with a softball one as far as favorites because uh, it's safe to say that I, I enjoyed all five of these games and trying. Yes. To, I mean, trying to pick a favorite as opposed to a winner and a runner-up was very right. difficult. But we're, we're to that point. Runner-up, you're on the hot seat. Does that mean I'm first? Yep, okay. you're first. I would pick as runner-up Yispahan. I thought that game, the, the creative mechanic 
of the dice rolling to set up the actions, amazing. I thought it was ultra cool. The game, you were, I was almost going to pick it to win, but since they judge on all the criteria, I thought there were a few things that it might have fallen short in. And one of them being um, they value, they stress value. It's a $50 game, and it didn't have nearly the stuff in it that some of the other games did. And in addition to that, even though it had that one really strong creative mechanic in there with a dice that is very unique, um, a lot of the other things in the game we've seen in other games, just a different way of achieving that kind of thing. So while it's a strong game and I would recommend anybody to buy it, I would have to pick this as a runner-up, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. You can see it right there on my list. Oh, my goodness. Get out of my head, you. Wow. We really did not discuss this. We totally did not discuss this at all. (laughs) Isfahan was definitely my runner-up as well. I don't know that I can add much more than yours. It was a very tough choice. I would have no problem if the jury selected Isfahan as as the winner. I could totally understand the rationale behind it. Right. But for the reasons that, that you've already articulated in terms of some of the things we've seen before it it is innovative in certain areas but not necessarily overall right um that was the only real thing that i could use to separate it from the the thing below it and i guess you know i looked for something with a little maybe a little more depth right uh, for something that was going to be the the winner exactly um that you know it has it has some strategy and it has some good decisions that you have to make but it's still you can't get totally away from the fact that it is a dice game and that there is a lot of randomness in it exactly um, that i was looking for something with a little more of those tough decisions involved and i think the one that i picked for the winner definitely fit that bill and i guess that's probably well i'm up yep you're you go for it well, first. I, I picked jen sides von theben is as my winner uh it has innovation style strategy a well-rounded concept it has fun um it it's fun it has dramatic tension involved uh, a tension involved all throughout the game in terms of the the drawing of the tiles right. um and the the movement of the thing the time the innovation of using time as the currency is really fun and then you know this isn't necessarily one of their criteria but it has an educational aspect that i think can't totally be ignored either right. that you can actually learn something there are little charts off to the side with the artifacts that actually exactly. explain all the historical information about that and just as a whole concept since i went i sort of went back to what stefan duke kind of said about the game concept and its originality being right. the thing that they end up weighing in as the mo- as being very important that if i looked at all five of these games you know they're all very strong in their own rights, but that this game was the one that that stood up amongst the others as being the most original and innovative, and still just a darn fun game on all the different levels. So I would be very happy if <laughs> if uh, I was right and Genside's von Theben was was the uh, winner. What about you? Well, I guess there's a good reason why we're on this podcast together. <laughs> you, because I also pick. Genside's von Theben as the winner. (laughs) I thought that it was, without a doubt, the most original and creative of the bunch because it had not one, not two, not three, but several very creative things. The way that time was uh, the currency, the time track, the way everything was paid, the way that all the turns weren't consecutive. You could have multiple turns. The little time wheels, excellent with those. I mean, it's just... And also, if you got um, the, the value of the game... For the price, you just got tons of stuff in there. 
You know I mean, and everything was unique, if, even down to the, the little bags that you pull out. The extra step of putting the graphic, the same graphic that was on the board, they went that extra mile in every facet of making this game, not, not just designing the mechanics behind the game, but in everything involved to, you know, to get this game from start to publication. Great. What I find interesting was that this game has actually been out for a handful of years and was um, published maybe only three or four hundred copies several years ago mm-hmm. by a very small um, game company and took this long for somebody you know to pick it up to realize how much of a gem it is and to pick it up and publish it. So I I really hope this one does win. It's I it's it deserves the yeah, attention. Yeah, I think it fits their criteria perfectly to a T. To a T. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I cannot believe after we... The psychic spiel. Yeah, we yeah. were like, I'm not talking to you at all after exactly. we play these games because we don't want to, to to sully our brains and, you know, that is, pollute each other's minds. And we came up with the exact same that list. That is That's, so... It's kind of pathetic what? in a yeah. way, but kind of cool in yeah, another way. Exactly. Maybe it lends some validity to the choices or maybe we're just both freaks. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. You know, but um, that was very cool. Well, we'll, we'll hang or we'll, we'll yeah. win on our yeah, choices Exactly. Here. But I'm, I'm willing to stand behind them. Yeah, I think absolutely. they're good choices. Because I, I put a lot of thought into that. It was Me much too. harder than I could have possibly thought. Yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. Well, I hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode because we had a blast yeah. doing this. Even though everything <laughs> nearly was so killed us. <laughs> last minute-ish, it was just really, really fun to do this. We would love some email from you guys. Let us know whether you thought this was a great idea to do something like this because this is something I think we would consider in the future too unless yeah, everybody just, just hated annual, it. Make yeah. it an annual thing yeah, and try to cover the nominees. Yeah, it was it was a blast. <laughs> I, I really had a good time and kudos to Dave for coming up with the idea. Damn you and your, your late ideas. <laughs> exactly. The only bad thing about it was was the lateness of the yeah, idea. Exactly. It was an excellent idea. We'll be a little more uh, organized with future episodes. Exactly. We'll, Nothing like getting some of the games arriving in your mailbox two days before recording. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but, quick, we got to play this and then figure out whether we like it or not. And then we have to record the episode. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. Hope you've yes. enjoyed this special Spiel this Yaris episode. Remember, the, the winner is going to be announced on June 25th. Uh, this podcast comes out on June 25th as well, so so very soon we'll find out whether we're right or not, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how it all shakes exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> so before we go, we thought we'd also let you guys in on a little piece of this action. Um, remember the poll that we had up before that was for your superstitions and your rituals? We wanted to quickly close that out and let everybody know how that turned out. I believe that... Um, favorite it, color. Favorite color ended up winning by just, just a couple a, percent, mm-hmm. and um, a close second was uh, manipulating your cards in your hand while you were playing and there's a couple other ones but those were big winners over everything else so thanks for all your votes on that poll we're going to start a new poll um, starting on Monday and it's going to have to do with of course the Spiel des Jahres we want to know how much does the award affect your game buying? When you hear that a game is won a Spiel des Jahres, uh, I can't even say it, a um, Spiel des Jahres do you run out and buy it immediately? Do you own them all? Do you go, well, I might think about it, or do you not even care at all? All those choices will be up on the website. So go out there and let us know how much this award means to you when you go look for a game. Well, I think we've come to the end of this special episode here. Congratulations, Dave. We we pulled Woo! this together in Amazing. short order. <laughs> Thanks again to Ray, uh, Jay and uh, Queen Games Queen Games for getting the insights to us on time, and Dave and Jared at Time, time Well Spent. spent. 
thanks to our sponsor, timewellspent.org. Um, I'm Stephen Conway. And I'm David Coulson. So remember, whether it's the roll of a die, the turn of a card, or the flip of a tile, you don't have to play to win, you, you just, just have, have to play. play. No poo flinging, but at least we do get some mating.